0: Scripturing this morning is going to be in Acts chapter 16, going to be just looking at uh, four verses today, verses 30 down through verse 34 of Acts 16. Uh, Go ahead and remain seated, I'll read these for us. Acts 16, beginning with verse 30, Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household." And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Our Father and our God, we ask that you would be with us over these next few moments Uh, as we are studying your word together today. I just pray that you would help each of us to have clarity on the gospel Uh, On baptism, on some of these questions we're going to be exploring uh, today. Help us, each one of us, to grow a little bit in our understanding of what it means to follow you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. If you were here last week, uh, you may remember we were in Acts chapter 16 looking at the conversion of the Philippian jailer. Uh, Paul had cast a demon out of a slave girl there in Philippi, and as a result, uh, some people were very upset with her, with, upset with Paul, uh, specifically those who were making money off of this demon-possessed girl, and so they got Paul and Silas in trouble with the authorities. They brought them up on charges. Uh, Paul and Silas were beaten. They were locked in prison, and at midnight, <clears throat> while they were sitting there in chains in the in the jail cell, they were singing praises to God. And all of a sudden, an earthquake struck. The prison doors broke open. And the jailer assumed that the prisoners would have fled, and so he stood up, he was about to kill himself, uh, knowing that he would be held personally responsible for their escape. Paul calls out to him and says, don't hurt yourself, we're all still here. And then the jailer asks Paul this question, what must I do to be saved? I don't know if it was the power of God in the earthquake or the uh, testimony of faith and love uh, displayed by Paul and Silas, but something uh, struck his heart and opened him up to Uh, hear the message of salvation. We went over all of that last time. Today, we're going to try to cover a few questions that we left unanswered uh, from last week. And so here are the things we're going to cover today, mostly stemming from verse 31, uh, where Paul told the jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And so that leads to a lot of questions. I don't know if you know this, but a lot of uh, different denominations of Christianity have interpreted that verse to mean a lot of different things. And so we're going to talk about some of that today. Number one, the first question I want to ask is, is that really all you have to do to be saved? Believe in Jesus. That's it. So as long as I have one moment in my life, when I believed in Jesus, whatever that means, am I good to go? Uh, Do I have eternal life? Am I saved? My sins are forgiven? Uh, What about repentance? Uh, What about living a Christian life after that moment? Is it really all just about belief? Uh, maybe if you want an extreme example of what I'm asking here, imagine you're sitting in a crowd listening to a Christian and an atheist debate. I don't know if you've ever seen some of those debates where they'll uh, go back and forth making their case for or against uh, God, basically, or Christianity specifically. Either way, let's say you're sitting in the crowd there, and uh, the Christian guy gets up and he presents the gospel. He explains from Scripture that Jesus rose, died and rose again, uh, that God exists, he gives certain arguments for why you should be a Christian. And then you, you find his arguments very convincing in that moment. You're listening to him and you're thinking, boy, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, my, my, you know, my spirit seems to confirm what he is saying. I'm convinced that what he just said is true. And so you say, yeah, I'll go along with that. So you have that moment of belief in Jesus. Then the atheist gets up and he makes his arguments. And uh, basically, in your mind, his arguments are better, uh, he's disputing the, what the Christian just said. And so by the end of the debate, you leave the room and you're a convinced atheist. Here's my question. Are you saved? Because you did believe for that moment. You believed in Jesus. So if that's all there is to it, is having a moment in your life when you hear the gospel, when you believe in Jesus and you're good to go, uh, that, that's sort of an extreme example of the question that I'm asking there. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Is that really all there is to it? Secondly, kind of along these same lines, but is this how we ought to present the gospel? Someone says they'd like to become a Christian. Should we respond by saying, oh, that's easy. Just believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Is that all we need to say? Because I don't know about you, I've never presented the gospel that way. I've had some people ask me before, well, you know, how do I become a Christian? Uh, And Normally, I take them out to lunch and we sit down and we talk and we go over scripture and make sure they understand the gospel. I I have never said to someone, uh, just believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. But is that all we really need to say? Is it that simple sentence? Is that really all that people need to understand to be a follower of Jesus? Third question. You and your household... Will be saved by your faith? Is that what Paul is saying there? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, and all of your family will be too. So, doesn't that mean that children of Christians are automatically saved because their parents are Christians? Question number four What is the role of baptism? Is that part of what saves us? Because the text does say they did that immediately. There seemed to be an urgency to get the jailer and his family baptized. So is that a part of what it means to become a Christian? Maybe to ask it another way, can we be Christians without being baptized? If Paul says all we have to do to be saved is believe in the Lord Jesus, is it really a big deal if we don't get baptized? Is that really a requirement if all we have to do is believe? Fifth question, what about infant baptism? Uh, Because it seems like this guy becomes a Christian, so Paul uh, goes to his house and baptized his entire family. Uh, Should we do that? Should we baptize our kids the moment they're born? Uh, Because we're saved, and so we just baptize them because they're our kids. Or is baptism connected to an experience of conversion for each individual person? Uh, Number six, do our works contribute to our salvation? Uh, This is just another way of asking really the first question. Is it really just about believing in the Lord Jesus. Does it matter how we live after that moment of faith? So those are the six questions we're going to be addressing this morning in the process. We'll be exploring some of the differences between what we believe as Baptists and what Presbyterians and Lutherans and Catholics and different groups like that believe, because all all of those groups would answer these questions a little bit differently, especially as it relates to baptism and uh, children of believers, whether they are sort of born as Christians or whether they need to be converted themselves. One of the reasons I'm doing this today is I think it'll be a good exercise for us in how to read the Bible carefully. And you can do this. Uh, I'm not going to be going into Greek words or anything, you know, super dense theologically today. This is all just carefully reading the words on the page, paying attention uh, to what's actually said. That's literally all we're going to do today. Because most of the questions that I've raised here can be answered very simply by just carefully reading the text. So let's get into these. First question, is this really all you have to do to be saved? Just believe in Jesus. Some have taken that one statement to be the total answer to the question of what we must do to be saved. Just believe, that's what Paul said. There's just one problem. That's not all that Paul said. And this will sort of answer the next question as well. But look at verse 30. Uh, He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him. Okay, so verse 32 seems to be completely ignored uh, by many people when they read this passage. Uh, Yes, Paul begins by saying, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. But that wasn't the end of the conversation. Uh, He went to his house and he spoke the word of the Lord to him. So he wasn't done talking with that one statement back in verse 31. Uh, here's a similar statement in Paul's writings that I think will help explain what he is saying to the jailer in verse 31. And you know, What does it mean, believe in the Lord Jesus? What does that mean? Believe that Jesus existed? You know, Believe that there was a guy named Jesus one time? I, I think we all understand it means something more than that. Uh, Romans 10, beginning with verse 8, Paul writes, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth... And in your heart, that is, the word of faith that we proclaim. So what's, what, what's coming in verse 9 is the word of faith that Paul proclaimed. This is what his message was to the lost. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So that is a definition, if you will, of the belief Paul's talking about in Acts 16. When he says believe in the Lord Jesus, that's what he means. Believe that Jesus died, that Jesus rose again, that he is Lord, confess him as Lord, and you will be saved. So the belief that is in Jesus that is necessary for salvation, it's believing the gospel, believing that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. And it's confessing Jesus as Lord or Master. Uh, So there's a commitment there. If you believe in your heart, The gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection, and if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And that's exactly what he told the jailer. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Then he went to his house and no doubt told him how Jesus died on the cross and rose again, how he is now reigning as Lord and King, and how we are all commanded to turn from our sins and submit to his rule over our lives. I think that's all there in verse 32 when it says that he spoke the word of the Lord to him. So this leads to the second question. Uh, is this how we ought to give the gospel? Just tell people, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Just that one sentence. Of course not. Uh, because Paul didn't even do that. Again, just reading one verse of the Bible in isolation is a very dangerous game to play. If you read the whole passage, you see that Paul goes to this guy's house, he elaborates further, he preaches to him the gospel. Paul told the jailer about the death and resurrection of Jesus, how his sins could be forgiven if he would repent and turn in faith to Christ, because that's what Paul told everyone. Uh, That was his message all throughout his ministry. Uh, Just look at his preaching. Look at his sermons throughout the book of Acts. Uh, Look at the epistles that he writes in the New Testament. This is his consistent message. And so verse 31 isn't meant to be viewed as an exhaustive answer to the question, how can I be saved? Rather, it's an introductory response that needs further elaboration. Next question. What about this household salvation stuff? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved and your household. Is this saying that if dad becomes a Christian, the kids are saved too? Uh, Is this sort of like a package deal? You know, buy one, get a few free. Uh, Again, verse 32 is crucial because if that were true, If it were true that by your coming to faith in Christ, your family would be covered by your faith, then Paul would have had no reason to go to this man's house. He could have just given him the gospel right there and sent him home, and then the whole family would be saved, according to that uh, mindset. Instead, what we read in verse 31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. So if you believe in Christ, you'll be saved, and the same is true for your household. If they believe in Christ, he will save them too. Now let's go to your house, and we'll explain to all of you how you can be saved. His family, in other words, wasn't saved because of his faith. Uh, They were saved because of their own faith. They heard the gospel, and they apparently believed it and repented as well. And so verse 33 says, "...he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds." And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Notice the entire household here is rejoicing. And at this point, I do need to point out, there is a bit of ambiguity in the Greek behind this phrase here. Uh, Verse 34 in the ESV says that he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed. Uh, most English translations would uh, put this a little bit differently so that the believing is the action of the entire household rather than the rejoicing. It just depends on where you put the phrases uh, in the process of translation. Here's the CSB, for example. You can see this. He uh, says, He brought them into his house. He set a meal before them and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. I think that gets the sense of the verse better that the entire household had come to faith in Christ. They had all heard the gospel presented by Paul and Silas, uh, and they had all believed it, and so they were all baptized. And so to answer the question, no, uh, the family wasn't saved just because of dad's faith. It's not like because this man became a Christian, automatically all of his household was saved too. No, Paul went to his house, he preached the gospel to all of them. They all believed and they were all baptized. And so with this added context. Here's how I would interpret verse 31 in terms of what does that phrase mean, you and your household. The jailer says to Paul, what must I do to be saved? I think this is a question of desperation. Remember, he was just suicidal a few moments ago. And so he's coming to Paul and saying, basically, is there any hope for me? How can I possibly be saved? Paul responds by saying, Jesus, he can save you. And he can save all of your family too. Let's go to your house and we'll explain. He's not saying if you believe in Jesus, all your family will be saved too. So I hope that is a clear enough explanation. Next question. What about baptism? Is baptism a requirement for salvation? You notice in the text there that this took place at midnight, by the way. I remember the earthquake struck at midnight. They went immediately to the man's house. And verse 33 says that after Paul had preached the gospel to the whole family there, he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. So the same hour of night, at midnight, you know, right in the middle of, of the night, uh, they were all baptized. So it was important enough that they didn't put it off. Right away they were baptized, right after their conversion to Christ. And I think a lot of my fellow Baptists uh, have far too low of an opinion of baptism, which is kind of weird because it's in our name. Uh, But many Baptists tend to view baptism as not that important. Kind of take it or leave it. It's a good thing to do, but if you decide not to, you'll be fine. And some of that perspective comes from from a very shallow, surface-level reading of certain texts like the one that is right here in Acts 16. Believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. That's it. And so then they would say, well, you don't have to be baptized. As we've seen already, that's really taking that one phrase out of the context of the rest of the passage where Paul went on to preach the gospel to them and to baptize them. But if you just look at that one verse in isolation, it can seem that something like baptism isn't really necessary. Uh, but I would argue that baptism is basically synonymous with conversion throughout the New Testament. Uh, that's not to say that baptism is what saves. Uh, of course not. There's nothing mystical or magical about being baptized, the water, you know, being dunked under water doesn't wash away your sins or anything. Jesus saves us through his death and resurrection. Our faith in him is how we are saved. But the New Testament knows nothing of a Christian who refuses to be baptized. That isn't a thing. When you decide you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you get baptized. That's how you confess outwardly your faith in Christ and your commitment to him. Uh, Let me show you this throughout the book of Acts. We're just going to review some of the conversions that we've seen so far uh, in our sermon series here. Back in chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, Paul uh, Peter was preaching to the crowds there in Jerusalem. And toward the end of his sermon, verse 37 says that the crowds listening were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Does baptism sound optional there? (laughs) It seems pretty clear that Peter is saying, if you want to be a Christian, repent and be baptized. Uh, Over in Acts chapter 8, Philip was preaching the gospel to the Samaritans, and verse 12 says, When they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Again, you see that baptism is the immediate response that they had to the preaching of the gospel. It's not what saves you. Baptism, again, is not a magical thing that uh, washes away your sins. But if you are ready to be saved, if you are ready to make that commitment to follow Christ, then you get baptized. That's what you do. Uh, Later in chapter 8, Philip gave the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch, and verse 35 says that Philip opened his mouth Began with this this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? So this guy gets it. He understands uh, that to become a Christian, he needed to be baptized. Uh, That is the first step for him now that he has heard and believed the gospel that Philip was preaching to him. Uh, Jumping down to chapter 16, where we are now. Uh, Remember a few weeks ago, we saw Lydia, the conversion of Lydia, the first uh, Christian convert there in Philippi. And again, the same pattern is repeated. Uh, Paul went to the place of prayer in Philippi to preach the gospel to the Jewish ladies who met there. And verse 14 says, "...one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul." And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us. So you just see, it just seamlessly moves right through the baptism story there. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul was saying, and after she was baptized. Uh, So baptism is uh, the immediate action of those in Acts who wanted to become followers of Jesus. Every time someone is converted uh, throughout the New Testament, they are baptized. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 28, when he sent out his followers to preach the gospel, He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So this is part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. You get baptized. And so again, while baptism doesn't save you, there's nothing magical or mystical about it, it's also not really optional for Christians. If you believe the gospel and if you're ready to commit your life to follow Christ, this is the first step. You get baptized as an expression of your faith and repentance. This leads to the fifth question. What about infant baptism? Uh, Many people would point to this household baptism type thing in the book of Acts as justification for infant baptism. Again, the idea is that uh, I'm a Christian, and so if I have kids, I should baptize them as Christians uh, basically at birth and just raise them as if they are Christians. But that's not what's happening here in Acts 16, as we've already seen. The whole family heard the gospel that Paul was preaching. The whole family believed in Jesus, and the whole family was baptized as a result. And I'll just mention in passing, it doesn't really even tell us uh, that there were little kids in this family or babies. That's sort of an assumption uh, by a lot of paedobaptists. But the whole family was baptized because the whole family believed the gospel. They were not baptized because of the jailer's faith. They were baptized because of their own faith. As we just saw in walking through those texts in the book of Acts, uh, where people are baptized, there's a very clear and consistent pattern. You hear the gospel, you believe the gospel, you want to commit your life to Christ, and so you get baptized. Whether it's the 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, or the Ethiopian eunuch, or the converts in Samaria, or Lydia, or the jailer, baptism always follows conversion. Baptism is given after someone hears and believes the gospel and is ready to be a a disciple of Jesus. So, unless your six-week-old baby is capable of hearing and believing the gospel and confessing with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, uh, we're not going to baptize them. Because to baptize a baby is really to misunderstand what baptism is. Again, the water of baptism doesn't save you. It's an expression of your faith in Christ, your commitment to him which is why in the case of children, uh, they should be baptized after they personally believe the gospel and commit themselves as disciples of Christ. Now that brings, up, <clears throat> that brings up other related questions, like at what age can children be saved? And to be honest, I don't have a good answer to that question. Uh, there are zero examples of children in the New Testament being saved, so we don't have any sort of model there. Uh, From my own experience growing up in a Christian home, I was taught the Bible from my childhood. Uh, I was not saved until I was 14 years old, not because I didn't believe uh, the gospel that Jesus died and rose again, I just wasn't really willing to commit my life to Christ uh, until that age. From my own experience, having known a lot of people who were born and raised in Christian homes, uh, I would say the average age of conversion seems to be somewhere between 9 and 15, uh, something like that. Uh, Now, I I can't say for sure that a child at seven or eight years old can't be saved. There's no way for me to know that. Uh, These are difficult questions to answer. At what age can a child grasp the gospel? At what age can they repent of their sins and commit to follow Christ? I don't know, uh, but I know for sure it isn't when they're first born. And so baptism uh, shouldn't be given until after that child has an understanding of the gospel and what it means to follow Christ. Uh, In case you're wondering, as far as our church policy goes, we don't have a particular age limit for baptism. Uh, I think it really depends on the child. Some kids at you know 10 years old are very mature and sharp. Uh, They take things seriously, others not so much. (laughs) Uh, Again, for me, it was 14 uh, before I was willing to make that commitment. But I don't think there's a blanket rule for everyone. Uh, Each child is certainly different. One more thing to say about this. Uh, Not everyone necessarily knows the exact moment in time when they were saved. In fact, for many of you here in this room, I think that's true for you uh, as well. In my case, I do. There was a very specific moment in my life uh, when I repented and gave my life to Jesus and uh, really was drastically different from that point on. But that's not everyone's story. Uh, Some people grow up in church or in Christian homes. They know and believe the gospel really from the earliest of ages, and so it's very difficult to pinpoint The exact moment when their faith became saving faith, when they committed themselves to Christ as Lord. And so it may be that you have a story like that, where you came to understand the gospel over time, and so you're not really sure exactly when your personal conversion was. And that's okay. As long as you believe the gospel now and are following Christ now, I don't think there's any any reason to worry about when that exact moment was. And so in conclusion, uh, children are not automatically Christians just because their parents are. And children should not be baptized until they are capable of confessing Christ as Lord and understanding and believing the gospel of his death and resurrection. There's certainly nothing wrong uh, with raising your children to believe the gospel, raising them in a Christian home. Uh, We're told in Scripture to raise our children in the Lord, to teach them Scripture uh, nothing wrong with saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But to baptize them goes too far, uh, because we can't declare someone else a Christian. Uh, that's between each one of us and God. Last question here from Acts 16. Uh, Do works contribute to our salvation? This is really the main lesson to learn from Acts 16.31. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved you and your household. We are saved by faith in Christ alone. We don't contribute to our salvation at all. Now, that doesn't mean that we just go on living however we want. Those whom Christ saves will be different as a result of the Holy Spirit living in them. God forgives our sins, and he also transforms our lives over time. But our growth in obedience isn't contributing to our salvation. It's because we are saved. Uh, Here's how Paul explains this in Ephesians chapter two. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Paul says we aren't saved by our works at all. Uh, Jesus purchased our salvation through his death on the cross. We don't earn Forgiveness, it is an act of God's grace to us. But after our salvation, God continues to work on us. He leads us in His plan for our lives. So good works do follow salvation, but they don't contribute to salvation. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. I'm going to conclude all of this that we've talked about with an analogy. I thought for quite a while this week about how could I explain. Uh, All of these things that we're talking about kind of summarize it all today in some sort of illustration. And so try to stick with me on this. We're going to pretty much hit everything we've covered about baptism and faith and works and how all of that uh, is to be understood with respect to our salvation. I want to compare salvation to flying in an airplane. Uh, So the goal in our salvation, of course, the end goal of that is to be allowed into the kingdom of God, right? Uh, So how do we get there? Uh, suppose I want to take a flight from here to New York. Uh, I could go over to O'Hare Airport, ask to see the plane that I'm going to be taking. You know, I've got my ticket, and I have a certain plane that, I, that, that, that is uh, scheduled to take. And so I go, I inspect the plane, uh, make sure all of the equipment is in good functioning order, uh, the fuel level is sufficient to get there, all of that. Then maybe I go over and talk to the pilot of this flight, and I ask him a few questions, make sure that he knows what he's doing. Uh, it's not his first flight, you know, things like that. And at that point, I would be satisfied. I believe that this plane and this pilot could get me to New York. I'm convinced of that fact. But that's not enough to actually get me there. Just saying I believe that this could uh, get me to New York is sort of like saying I believe in the gospel. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, he rose again, and he offers salvation to us. I'm convinced that that is true. That's not saving faith. That's just mentally assenting to those facts. Because I'm not actually on the plane flying there. I'm just believing that, in theory, the plane and the pilot could do the job. Faith is when you actually sit down on the plane and let it take you. That's what gets you to New York. The pilot and the plane get you there. Your faith in their abilities gets you there in the sense that you have to trust them in order to get onto the plane. Another way to think of faith is Uh, we use the analogy of like standing on something like this platform for example Uh, i could look at the platform and say yeah i'm convinced uh i mean i built it so i should be convinced that this can support my weight Uh, but i'm not actually placing faith in it until i stand up on it and now i'm actually resting in it and there's there's some skin in the game if you will i'm actually placing my confidence in these beams uh, to hold me up so in the case of the airplane analogy Uh, Just believing that the plane could get you from point A to point B doesn't get you there, right? You have to actually get into the plane, uh, trust in it. Work's salvation would be like trying to go into the cockpit and help steer. Uh, You try that and you'll get kicked off the plane before it even takes off because you and I don't contribute to that flight, right? We're just along for the ride. Uh, And so when we try to add work's uh, to the to the, the cross of Christ in terms of earning our salvation, that's like trying to go up into the, the cockpit of the airplane and try to steer and uh, flip a few knobs and switches. Uh, we We don't add anything. In fact, if we try to add something, we're going to mess it up. So our salvation is not earned by our good works. Our salvation is wholly dependent upon Jesus Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Baptism is sort of like buckling up. Uh, It's not really what gets you there. The plane does. The pilot flying the plane gets you to your destination. Uh, Jesus' death on the cross saves you if you place your faith in him. But buckling up is just what you do when you get on the plane. When you agree to take this flight, that's your first step. You sit down and you fasten your seatbelt. This leads to another important aspect of this. By choosing to get onto the plane, you're submitting to certain rules. Uh, that's sort of like repentance. It's not work salvation. Again, we're not helping steer. We're not helping the plane get there. We're not contributing. Uh, but we do agree to fasten our seatbelt, to not smoke, to do certain things uh, that, that are just a part of that relationship of obedience. It's not what gets us there. It's what we do if we're going to be welcome into the plane. That's what it means to submit to Christ as Lord. When we come to faith in Christ, we are entrusting our lives and our eternal destiny in Him. We believe that He died on the cross, bearing our sins, and we trust that He can save us. He's promised to forgive our sins and to transform our lives if we yield ourselves to Him. And so we come to Him in faith, not seeking to earn our, our salvation. We never could. Uh, that'd be sort of like flapping our wings and trying to fly over to New York. It's just not going to happen. But instead, we humbly turn in faith to our Lord and submit to his rule over us. And so what must we do to be saved? Believe in Jesus as Lord and you will be saved.